you're the one that should be worried. You're a freak. You're heading for big trouble. Big trouble. I took an ass whooping. That ain't saying much I can't take my medicine But I can take a punch Now you're cleaning me up As I'm bleeding on your own I've been doing independent-minded for over a decade. 128 of these babies. I've rapped with bohemians in the usual haunts. Studios, nightclubs, dressing rooms, tour buses, radio stations... And some unusual spots, back alleys, churches, Ethiopian restaurants. But I've been trying something new. Having folks come to my house to talk shop. This adds pressure. Is the bathroom clean? Are popcorn and booze at the ready? Toilet seats down, candles are lit, beds made. Shit, it's like I got a date coming over. Only I'm going to record it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go there. But when Dylan Warneck arrives at my front door, he's not interested in how tidy my cave is. When I let him in, he barely grunts at me. Instead, almost immediately, he sits down at my piano and starts playing. Oh yeah, I've seen so many things. I saw courage in coffee cups. I saw time in onion rings. I got my palm read by a waitress. Said we met one in one of our dreams. Talk about an icebreaker. Not that I was worried about Dylan and I connecting. Being here in my hut has advantages. Being here in my hut means conversation pieces. I'm a huge fan of Steve, and I'll be the first to admit that like a lot of it you can pass on, but when Stephen King's on, he is on. We're in my makeshift home studio. It'd be a second bedroom if I thought anyone was coming to visit. Instead, it features microphones, synths, my modest record collection, and a mammoth bookcase. And with the ice firmly broken, we begin our journey through Dylan Warneck's Midworld. First of all, is it Warneck? Yeah. Warneck. What, what is that? Uh, it's a name. Starting um, with, yes. Well, my... Uh, <laughs> to... Uh, no, it was, uh, it was from the Russian side of my family. It was like an Ellis Island thing. They uh, came over during the, you know, the whole, uh, like when Rasputin got got and, uh, at Ellis Island. I remember they, that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think they couldn't pronounce it, so they said, you're Warnick now. This exchange between Dylan and I sets the tone for three hours of conversation and whiskey sipping. Our talk sometimes goes completely off the rails, and I loved every minute of it, especially when Dylan serenades me at my piano. And I plan to be gone before the children have Dylan and I talk about what makes a songwriter, admiring Norm MacDonald, borrowing Margot Price's band, and how hating Bob Dylan made him love songs. I laugh a lot in this one, and it's all Dylan's fault. Do you like laughter? Let's kick it off with Look a Moment Longer from Dylan's album Now That It's All Over, then my fascinating conversation with Dylan Warneck, right here on Independent Minded. Ronnie Scalzo, amazing podcast, Ronnie Scalzo. 
Joe's Amazing Podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music, plugging their projects, making them famous. Ronnie Scalzo's Amazing Podcast. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit. Nice. They even use the <laughs> shit. They even use the shit. I was worried. But she's probably picking flowers in some meadow with the sunshine tangled in her hair. Been so long now since I've seen her. But when I close my eyes, I can see her there. And here I am again in the barroom, ordering another glass of beer. Well, she's probably picking flowers in some. Don't know why I'm looking for her here Ah, but if you should see her You would never know Where a heart as free as hers once belonged Ah, but if you should see her Maybe look a moment longer And know that it's the woman that I love I was uh, seeing this gal for a long time, and uh, and I was her guitar player too, which you know never sleep with the boss. But uh, her career was doing very well. We were going around the world and stuff, and uh, we finally split. Um, I'd always been a writer in my mind, but I, I wasn't courageous enough to do it because uh, you know at the time it was more of an identity than it was a practice. I think I identified as a writer, but I, I didn't I didn't do the work for fear of what if I'm not. It took me a great many years. It was a lot easier. I just uh, fell in. I played guitar for other people when I was playing for this gal. When we split up, I moved here, but I knew I never wanted to play for anybody again. Then I got drunk and ended up in a as a bass player in a Denver band. But isn't that, isn't that always the case? Yeah, you know, goddamn. <laughs> So I was doing all these flyouts playing bass, and I was like, what the fuck? I got to count? This is bullshit. Um, <laughs> guitar is way easier. You can do whatever you want. I've been keeping on the back road, covering my trail. And I made it this far without ending up dead or in jail. So I came to Nashville to essentially quit music. Oh. I, just, I just wasn't going to play for anybody ever again, and I just didn't want to. An interesting destination for you to make that decision. I know it's like a, it's like being a bearded lady and like going to the circus and then you know just playing the carnival game. And uh, you're there as a patron. Not yeah, as- once a bearded lady, <laughs> always a bearded lady kind of thing, you know. And but I, well, because it's yeah, I mean it's a circus, man. I like I've been you know when you've been touring, eventually you just want to be around other people who knows what it feels like to be shot out of a cannon. And. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, 
You know, what am I going to do? Like go uh, go to the like, J.R. Finicky's and sit and watch a football? No, I mean, I, I, knew, I knew music was my people, but, you know, it didn't even matter anymore. I had no identity. I was just me. I was just writing. And then, lo and behold, you know, that's when your voice comes out, when you don't give a shit anymore. I ran out of people to pretend to be writing. I ran out of things to worry about. What You know, what do I care? And then that's when I started writing. Like, truly writing. Writing what I meant. And saying what I meant to say. And I whistle with the wind. And cry with the rain. And I spit in the eye of a hurricane. But come closer to me, babe. you just keep me calm. Tomorrow, when you wake up, I'll be gone. Tomorrow, when you wake up, I'll be gone. People figured it out way earlier than I did. You know, I was a late bloomer, but I didn't know how to reconcile loving Elliot Smith and Dr. John. Mm. So when I sat down, I wanted to, if I sat down at a piano, I wanted to write a Dr. John song. If I had a guitar, I wanted to write an Elliot Smith song. Or I wanted to do a Bob Dylan song. I, I mean, I wanted to do all these things I loved. But it wasn't me doing it. It was me trying to be that. Here in the songwriting capital of America, the art of the song is law. Many treat it like religion, bowing down to the songwriting gods. Others treat it like daily exercise. Gotta get those reps in, open up the notebook, and stay toned. Dylan's approach is, not surprisingly, a little different. I treat it as a reluctant compulsion. I write often, but if you had to ask me, I spend more time as a bad writer than a good writer. And that's a hard thing to do. And and so, like, writing kind of starts with forgiveness. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, who the hell are you to even put a word to a page? And so you kind of got to forgive yourself to start. And a lot of times you just get nothing. And it's just terrible. You know, if you got to wake up at five and go dig a ditch and you were up till three writing garbage. And then you get home the next day and you do the same goddamn thing. I mean, you got to forgive yourself for it. And then, but every once in a while, you get it. And I've gambled with every breath I've cheated my whole life Now I'm cheating death And the shadows have me jumping I've been seeing ghosts There's footsteps in the distance And I hear them getting close But it's not a joyous thing. It's a compulsion. If self-loathing is part of Dylan's process, he's doing the work. We've all heard the expression, you're your own worst critic. It's a cliche for a reason. Even the legends hate on some of their most popular songs, if not on themselves. But artists tend to dive deeper into aspects of their art that the rest of us don't even recognize. Once you hear the guitar solo, if I'm doing that, that ain't going to work for me because i got to play solo. Right. Even if everything goes good, like, dude, I'm the fringe of the fringe of the fringe. Like, there is no broker genre of fucking music than songwriters songwriter because people don't even like songwriters so if you're a songwriter songwriter that's like a fucking homeless person's hobo (laughs) I discovered Dylan at the five spot in Nashville he's got the opening slot just Dylan an electric piano and an acoustic guitar I can go down in a hell of bullet the cowards ever get the jump probably look like a 
the time we're done Oh, and when I get to the pearly gates Hey, St. Peter May, sorry I'm late Dylan's stage banter is reflective of our conversation here. He spews self-deprecation with attitude, but also in a really fun and funny way. It's humble, a little booze-fueled, but it's real. And it's all delivered with this devil-may-care attitude that makes Dylan and his songs more endearing. You had me laughing out loud at least, you know, <laughs> four or five times during your set. And I, I wish I could remember what you said. Uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it kind of comes from a place of, uh, you know, when you're up there solo, like I, I have the worst entertainment product in the world, right? Like it's, if I saw me setting up mm. in a restaurant, I'd be like, let's get out of here. Mm. Like, I don't want to, I mean, what we got to sit, and listen to this guy like we can't say a word you know i don't know that it's everybody's idea of a good time you know if it's like well you're saying there's like a predisposed notion before you even well you it's turn just that it's a on. it's a big ask you know especially when you're playing solo right like a band you can enjoy yourself but like when i'm playing i try not to waste a single second of the audience's time is it fueled by uh nervousness alcohol combination of both <laughs> I, it takes a lot of practice to sound like things are going that close off the rails. I'm a huge fan of uh, people like Norm MacDonald. He's probably one Same. of the biggest influences. You got to hand it to the president. His injury is not holding him back from doing the, the business of the nation. You know, he, In fact, he just nominated Major General uh, Claudia Kennedy as the Army's first female three-star general. And I think that's great. You know, She's doing a great job. Apparently, the only thing she's having trouble with is she's She's having difficulty figuring out how to sexually harass herself. She doesn't know how to... (laughs) What's that? Guy yells my name for no reason. Because Norm, he once described figuring out what it was like to do the Letterman show. He said, uh, when you do that show, there's a joke. And Letterman's in on it. The audience is in on it. The camera crew's in on it. The listeners at home, they're in on it. But you're not in on it because you are the joke. Recently, uh, I was at a place and a dude uh, said, hey, would you mind going to, to this hospital, you know, to, to entertain, you know, uh, uh, the orderlies and the, mm. the, the people in the hospital? I thought that'd be a nice thing I to do, you know, because nice, yeah, yeah. I don't do a, <clears throat> a great deal of nice things. So, uh, <laughs> no, I do. I'm a I very know, nice guy. Very nice. Yeah, I know. Nice yeah, we've read all about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's these long, rambling stories, and it's, it's like a car crash. You can't turn away. Where's it going? And you, you think he's seen, like he's lost it. The story's not going anywhere. And then it ends, and you find out he's been in control the whole time. And now I'm going, I don't even know if these people deserve a show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can brighten anyone's day, I think yeah, it's a nice thing. Yeah, but I don't want to brighten the day of somebody who slaughtered their family No, that's bad, yeah. Norm's last appearance on Letterman during the show's final run, featured a touching tribute to Dave. So anyways, I'd just like to say, I know that uh, Mr. Letterman is uh, 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 not for the mockish, and uh, he, has, uh, he has no truck for the sentimental, but if something is true, it is not sentimental, and I say in truth, I love you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
rare moment of sincerity amongst all his awkward brilliance. And so those true sincere moments, you know, and so that's why in my writing, I, I try and avoid reverence and sincerity because those are sacred things. I use those things very sparingly. And as well as things like sadness and because sadness is easy, like grandma's sick with cancer. That's sad. Anybody. I mean, that's a preset. But if you can make it funny, now you're doing something. Sitting in a cell in El Paso, drunk in Tijuana streets, flat broke, hitching through Nevada, with nothing but the shoes on my feet. And there always seems to be a woman, and there always seems to be a fight. And it always seems like I'm leaving. There's a joke that everybody's in on except you. And if you know how to play with that, now you have a way to get into people. Trouble seems to know just where I'll be. And Mama always wanted the best for her baby. But life got the best. Dylan doesn't always play shows without accompaniment. Do you feel like more naked up there when you're by yourself? Do you feel like the band behind you protects you in some way? Uh, the opposite. Really? Actually. Once again, like I say, I mean, it takes a lot of practice to seemingly, you know, be that close to the edge. And when I'm alone, I'm in control of every wrong note. Like if things go great, great. If something goes wrong, it's part of the act. I'm very lucky. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Margot Price, who... If I thought any higher of her, I'd be ducking under airplanes. I mean, I just, I'm the biggest fan of her and I'm very lucky in uh, the support she's given me. And I, and I, her band backs me up, you know, believe it or not, they've chosen Margot as the main gig. I don't understand that. But. Well, I know it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, shit, yeah. I'd join if I could. Playing with a band, you know, we get one or two or three rehearsals in, but that, control aspect is the machine is rolling yeah it's and gotta roll go off and it, i you know and so now i have to be you have to stay on careful the treadmill right. with what i do because uh you know it's not like we've been on the road eight weeks and they can handle anything they it's, know you're they, stick, right i have to make sure that things follow like what they know to do i think the last show that we did was uh this joint star rover great club and that was the first time that i fully leaned in and trusted them Oh, not not that I don't trust them as music, but trusted, do what I do, and they are with me. But it, but it's still limiting in the sense of you don't have to color between the lines to a degree, because I can't leave anybody else out to dry. Whereas at the piano, if it's just me, I can meander all I want and kind of play with that rubberneck car crash, what's going to happen thing. But I can't do that to a band that's got a rehearsal or two under them, you know what I mean? So I prefer solo. Life got the best of me Yeah, mama always wanted the best for her baby Life got the best of me When I was younger, it was an identity, I'm a writer. The older I get, the less it is an identity. 
And the more it's just, it's a thing I do. I asked Dylan if he has a memory of the first time he ever tried to write anything. I had to write an apology to um, Kitsap County. No, I, you know, I don't know. Don't deviate from that story. You wrote, a, you wrote an apology to a county? Well, you know yeah, <laughs> you know, I... You know, I didn't know beekeeping was so hard. Um, and uh, nor that the people were so allergic. But uh, see, that's the lyric right there, it sounds like. Well, if you can write it, please. <laughs> can, I, can I take that one? You are welcome to have it. All right. Well, Hank's in the hospital, and Chucky's in jail. No one can find Dalton But Frankie's on the trail And it's morning here in Memphis I'm strung out in the sun And now that it's all over It doesn't seem so fun Randy Newman, Warren Zevon Tom Waits and Lucinda Williams have inspired Dylan to hone his craft. He quotes songs from them all during our conversation, always followed by a dumbfounded expression of wonder, as if they were magicians rather than songwriters. But Dylan also recalls a lesson learned from someone much closer to him. My father is a, is a salesman, and not like a Rodney Dangerfield used car salesman, hey, step right up kind of thing. Like He's very good at what he does. He sells lumber. One time uh, we were somewhere and we had some expired coupon. And my dad went into this joint, whatever, we got an expired coupon. And he asked the person, um, would you honor this? And when we got back in the car, and you know, it wasn't like a money thing, a cheap thing, but it was like, why the hell not? And when we got back in the car, he explained to me why he used the word honor. Would you honor this coupon? And it was just like learning the power of words and what they can do. Like, that always kind of was with me, the way to say things and how words work. I'm striking matches just to burn them out. Oh, it's that Sunday morning. And it's coming now, yeah, that sweet song. It makes me cry. Dylan grew up in Washington State. That's where and why he learned to play guitar. I was 14 years old. I had a big, long bus ride. My family always lived so far outside of town. It was Bob Dylan singing, they'll stone you when you're playing your guitar. They'll stone you when you're riding in your car. They'll stone you when you're playing your guitar. Yes, but I would not feel so all alone. Everybody must get stoned. I was like, well, shit, if that's going to happen, I guess you need a guitar, <laughs> you know? And so that was it. A Bob Dylan lyric made you go get a guitar. Bob Dylan started the whole goddamn thing. And it was his first record, the self-titled, you know, the Hammond's Folly thing. And I'd, I'd uh, taken the CD out of my dad's car because mm. it was this 45 minute bus ride. I was going to say, how do you get access to that? Yeah, well, my, my folks were uh, pretty cool as far as the music that they liked. Down in New Orleans, they call the rising sun. And fuck, I hated that fucking record. 
I mean, I'm 14. You know what I mean? God, I hated the damn thing. I mean, it was folky, and, and it's not even his songs. He's playing them all fast. Now, as a music, I can hear he's nervous. Yeah. I can hear all these, and it's still one of my favorite records ever. He never liked it. I mean, I was just re-watching No Direction Home last night, and he talks about the second he got it, he wanted it. Like, erased. Obliterated, yeah. The same bus ride, same everything, not the same day. I was riding home, and it was his version of House of Rising Sun. And I hated this fucking record. Holy shit, I could not stand it. This damn bus ride was so boring. <laughs> I listened to it, and I was so lazy. I kept forgetting to take it out of my CD player. New Orleans. It was on House of the Rising Sun when he starts to raise his voice. And he says, tell my baby sister not to do what I've done. And all of a sudden, oh, tell my baby sister not to do what I have done. He wasn't Bob Dylan. He was a, a hooker in New Orleans who was made old by the situation, concerned for her sister. And it opened, and I just, I never knew you could feel that way. And I was like, oh, that's, and I, I, had, I was pretty decent at sports, you know, I had other interests and shit. Second I heard that though, I was like, I want to make people feel what I just felt. Wow. And then from there I was hooked. Worst moment of my life. <laughs> and the other foot on the train. There's a Mount Rushmore, but Bob Dylan is just the celestial. He's looking down on the Mount Rushmore. He, he's just, he just is. He's, uh, he's Lovecraftian. He is this maw in the sky. Later on, Dylan would become inspired to pick up another instrument. Or in this case, sit down at one. To me, it's, it's all connected. Like the, the feeling of Dr. John playing piano is the same feeling of a well-written line it's all connected and it's like kind of a god is in the blue note sort of thing sweet confusion under the moonlight when it comes to songwriting your instrument is just as important of a tool and not in like some Burt Bacharach way who's a genius and rest in peace but just I, I write characters a lot and if a guy is in a New Orleans prison you know, I need to know how to do that. And unless you're actually in a New Orleans prison, how do you know? One of the coolest things about hosting an episode here at the house, my guest can actually show me what he means. And so, like, man, I, so there's this Dr. John Lick that's... Other people's money, like it needs to drive. Like other people's money, other people's money, and I spent forty-eight fucking. I, I mean, I can show you the voice memos. If you want psychopathic shit, I can show you voice memos because I had to learn how to. Better than which is how I wrote it. I wrote a poem, baby, 
it's like now you can hear it. Some of the characters who inhabit Dylan's songs are based on real folks, too. What makes someone a subject of one of your songs? I'm drawn to people who deserve what's coming to them, but you can't help but root for them anyway. People who suffer from themselves. Like, I have a, I have a big rule. I mean, it's, it's the same thing uh, with comedy, you know? Punch up or punch in. Don't punch out, don't punch down. I'm drawn to uh, the sympathy that you find in unsympathetic characters. That same disarming charisma that sometimes shines on stage gets a spotlight on Dylan's albums. Take the introduction to the song Titanic Thompson. So it's basically like Uncle Dylan's telling you a story, like, yeah. hey, kids, gather around. But he's a little temperamental at the well, same time. Well, because the kids, kids aren't listening. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fucking put down the fucking, I said fucking gather around. You know, nobody wants to hear this story to begin with. You know what I mean? That's the framework of the song. It's like, all right, kids, gather around. Hey, I said gather around. You know, and all the kids are like, Jesus, all right. Uncle Dylan's going to tell you a story. And then the story's over, which is like, you know, nobody's learned anything new. You know, it's just like, fuck, can I go back to playing? And it's like, all right, go bug your mom or something. Like Uncle Dylan showed up drunk. He told some weird story about this gambler. And then it's like, all right, I'm out. I'm done with you guys. Go. Right. You only had Uncle Dylan for a limited time if you were listening to his, his tale about. Well, that's kind of all he's got. <laughs> you know what got. I mean? He slips you a 20 and says uh you know he's call- generous well yeah i mean you know that's what that's the whole thing just slip your just slip your niece or nephew at 20 and say you're getting some heat call me first dylan kind of undersold his relationship to one of nashville's premier artists and her husband jeremy ivy they both said nice things about dylan and his music in the press and as you mentioned earlier Margot price lent him her band jamie davis her guitar player fantastic guitar player him and i frequent the same bar and we you know we would sit and talk and uh, you know i was i was kind of out of a long relationship and so you know you're in that kind of interim period and so i'd show up at the bar with a black eye and a rooster or something and just you know sit down and it's just like how you doing good how you doing and it's like boy i had a night and so i'd be telling him these stories and one day he was He's like, man, that sounds like a song. And I was like, well, it is. Do you want to hear it? I showed it to him, and Jamie said, uh, he got any more? And he said, we, we got to record these. And so it was Jamie. He got her band to come and record them. Well, if I die tonight, that's all right. The Lord says you through, you through. First song we did was Good Man. Margo and Jeremy heard the song and then they just became and then I ended up moving in with Micah the keyboard player and they just kind of became family and they became big supporters and uh, uh, you know I owe them so much because that first record I mean it just it was them they just and they, they did it from like nothing and they really got it over the finish line She calls you a songwriter's songwriter. What's your interpretation of that? It means you, you're, you're not making any money. <laughs> and there's a, 
a bunch of songwriters at your show, but you didn't sell any tickets because they were all on the list. None of this is an exaggeration, but that's probably not exactly what Margot meant. I think it's being compelled to say exactly what you want to say. Because, I mean, I got to wake up for construction. You know, it's always been a threat. Like, well, if you know, you're going to be digging ditches. Well, if you already dig the fucking ditches, what are you going to do to me? I mean, like, shit, I'm going to write whatever the fuck I want to write. I got to dig a ditch anyway. Dylan's bio describes him as construction worker by day, piano balladeer by night. It's like a superhero complex, but... Uh... Worst superhero on the <laughs> last person. If somebody's hanging on a building saw me, they'd just be like, all right, fuck it, I'm dropping. Fuck this. Dylan's day job is remodeling houses. Intense labor, power tools, early hours. It's hard because I write at night, and so, you know, a lot of this album was going to bed at three or four, waking up at five, out the door at six, and then your fingers right next to a table saw at seven, and you're going, holy fuck, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah. It's kind of tradesman stuff, and I'm lucky to be kind of mentored by some folks. It lends itself well. Everyone I talk to on this podcast exists, whether they like it or not, in the music industry. You work in construction, you work in radio, you're a bartender, a podcaster, a graphic designer. If you sign with an agent or a label, if you put an album out on Bandcamp or a new song on Spotify... If you sell tickets to a show, copyright your music, you're in it. You're participating. And a lot of folks measure their level of success by how well they're faring as a product. There's a difference between succeeding musically and succeeding in the music industry. Any artist listening, I'd, I'd say, one, do the exact fucking opposite of whatever I say. And two, learn to get a distinction between the two. The music industry is an industry, and it demands different things than that feeling of saying exactly what you want to say. When people want to help Dylan push his art out into the world, lend him a hand, or even a band, maybe interview him on their podcast, or buy his music and tell him they like it, to the artist, it's stupefying. I mean, 16-year-old me, his mind would be fucking blown that strangers like it. For Dylan Warneck, the most important thing is hyper-focus is the song. He's only concerned with impressing and surprising himself. The feeling I I chase is, I, I call it uh, the hot plate. I like it when, you know when you're at a restaurant, like a Mexican restaurant, the waitress brings out a plate and it's sizzling. The fajitas, yeah. Yeah, every head in the restaurant turns. And it doesn't matter what you ordered, you wish you ordered that. And I, that's what I like, I like it when it sizzles. And that's when I know. Yeah. I like, I like that. It's hot plate music. I like I like my shit to sizzle. Dylan's got a new record cooking. He claims that what he's about to serve has never been better. This record, I'm in command of my craft. And uh, the last record was an accident. This record, I'm saying exactly what I want to say. Sometimes the best music is an accident. The songs that comprise Now That It's All Over, however intended, are stellar. But it's nice to know a guy like Dylan is trying harder. Through all the poking fun at himself, he's always striving to outdo himself. If you don't have that kind of fire, especially here in Nashville, you're toast. You're referred to in your bio as Music City's most eccentric new songwriter. 
I think one of the reasons that you stand out, at least to me, is that you you kind of break the mold here as far as Nashville musicians go. You are unique in that way, not just because of the stories that you tell, but really everything about you. Your look, going up on stage there by yourself and just playing the keyboard, just a lot of things about you kind of break the mold, at least as far as Nashville is concerned. Do you see that in your own self? I mean, well, there's a lot of compliments. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, I, I think if I thought about it too much, it would only it would only get in the way. I, I think it, I think it comes back to uh, if you're saying what you want to say, and if that's your goal, and you've done it, then you're the greatest writer on planet Earth. Like the the finest artistic statement in the history of mankind was whatever cave person. 100,000 years ago, whenever it was, my watch broke, I don't know. But for no reason, seemingly, they put their handprint on a cave. Art is defiance. It's rebellion. And it's, I was here. There was better things to be doing. You got to hunt some fucking mammoth, I don't know. You know, you got all sorts of shit. But for a moment in time, somebody rebelled against the brutish reality of their life and made a statement, I was here. And there's no more lasting statement. It's on a fucking gate. There's nothing that will ever beat that. It's the finest artistic statement. And everything that has come since then has been trying to do that. And if that's what your goal is, and if that's what you're saying, what you mean to say, you fucking did it. Before Dylan departs, having helped me sip nearly a half bottle of bourbon, I ask him to play me a new song. This podcast is a gift. Sometimes that gift is the chance to tell an idol how much they mean to me. Often, the gift is discovering new music. Dylan Warneck is a bounty. A construction worker who's great company, a musician who can make you laugh, and a craftsman with a unique perspective and songwriting talent. I'm pretty excited to hear what he's going to do next. All right, well, I'll play you bad accordion. You're an outlaw, Mona Lisa. Nobody's muse. The dynamite waiting at the end of the fuse. And I stood there with my matches. Running out of things 
Find out more and buy Dylan's music at dylanwarneck.com. I'm not spelling it. We got AI now. You can sort it out. Got to give a big thanks to Dylan for the time and the enlightenment, Dylan's manager James McCabe for setting things up, and Alicia Blue for inviting me to come see Dylan perform. Share your love of independent-minded with your podcast and music-loving friends. And you can check out all the episodes wherever podcasts are podcasts. Leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and find out all the rest of the stuff at baldfreak.com. And let's give some flowers to our sponsor, Mackie. If you want to make a podcast right, you need the right gear. But you don't need a ton of fancy gear to get started. Or in my case, even continue. (laughs) This is why I do business with Mackie. They got microphones, headphones, mixers, and accessories that do the job at an affordable price. Mackie's not here to hurt your pocketbook. In fact, they want to help you fill it. Check out Mackie.com for mixing and podcasting tips and recording setups for every type of situation. Whether you're on the lam or in prison, everything you need to make a podcast is at Mackie.com. Independent Minded is a bald freak music production. And me... I'm Ron Scalzo. You're a natural. You're a freak. And there's been so many others. But I remember you the best. With the moonlight and the madness. And you make up all the mess. Pointing to the stars. Laughing about. How brightly they were burning.